Hello and welcome to The Spectator's Americano podcast, a special series of discussions about the biggest political event of this year, the 2016 US presidential election. My name's Freddie Gray and I'm deputy editor of The Spectator. Today I'm joined down the line in Washington by Jacob Heilbrunn, who is editor of The National Interest. And we're going to be talking about the choice of Rex Tillerson as Secretary of State for Donald J. Trump and what it means about Donald Trump's foreign policy in the next four years. So, uh, Jacob, Rex Tillerson has been picked by Donald Trump as his choice for Secretary of State. What does this tell us about uh, Trump's idea of foreign policy? And could you possibly give us a bit of inside info on how it came about? Well, it's clear that... Trump would like to improve relations with Russia. Yeah. And none of the other candidates that he was looking at, from David Petraeus to Mitt Romney, had the kind of experience with Vladimir Putin that Tillerson does. Not to mention, they didn't even remotely have the chance to get the order of friendship from Russia, yeah. which Tillerson does. Yeah. So Trump was not sold on any of the candidates that he'd had. And then Robert Gates, who was head of the CIA and former defense secretary, visited Trump and floated Tillerson's name by him, as did Condoleezza Rice, Mm. who's also national security advisor and secretary of state during the George W. Bush administration. So Trump met with Tillerson and was apparently wowed. Tillerson is the kind of man that Trump envisions himself being. Yeah, well, Texan, tough guy, that sort of thing. Swagger. And the ability to sit down mano a mano with autocratic world leaders and cut deals. Yeah. So Tillerson's nomination has engendered, to use a polite word, considerable consternation among the ranks of Republican hawks, such as Senators Lindsey Graham and John McCain. Yes. And Marco Rubio, beginning with the order of friendship, because as Rubio and others have said, and and Senator McConnell, Russia is no friend of the United States. Mm. So the, the really interesting question is, How big a battle will there be in the Senate over Rex Tillerson? Now, Tillerson actually may be one of the saner choices in the Trump cabinet. Rudy Giuliani was mooted for a while, and he doesn't seem very sane at the moment, does he? No, and I suspect that, that Tillerson is not thirsting to go to war with Iran, since he's an oil man. Yeah. And he may be more pragmatic on China. And is he really in Putin's hip pocket or does he have a keen awareness of the peculiar nature of the Russian kleptocracy? Yeah. You know, we just don't know. It will be really interesting to, uh, to, see these, to, to see the Senate hearings. And my guess is that Tillerson will be confirmed. Yeah. Now, if, if Trump nominates Bolton, to be number two at the Department of State, that could cause a real furor yes. in the Senate. Why, why would that? Could you explain that a bit? Well, Bolton is a unrepentant supporter of the Iraq War. Yes. And 
while it is true that he is not a classic neoconservative, he believes in regime change, but not in implanting democracy. Mm. Before, on the eve of the Iraq war, I met him, and he was quite candid that he, he simply does not believe in uh, imposing democracy abroad. I think if it had been up to him, we would have just taken out Saddam Hussein and then moved on and maybe gone on to Iran next. Yes. And Bolton is not, he's a unilateralist hawk. Yeah. And he would like to see the United States operating essentially independently from allies, who I think he probably regards as an encumbrance yeah. on the flexibility of American foreign policy. And he, he really is, does not put much stock in international treaties, in, uh, in alliances. Yes, and neither does Tillotson by the sound of his experience at Exxon Mobil. Right, but we don't, you know, I'm sort of agnostic on Tillerson, mm. maybe, maybe being naive, but I, I just I just wonder that what you do have to worry about with all of these Trump nominations is that he's putting in people who have zero experience in government, and it could end up being a recipe for disaster. Yes. If you had a sort of uh, John Bolton-Tillotson combination, uh, could you see a, a sort of humanitarian interventionism being disregarded, but that would mean you just have the interventionism without the humanitarian bit. It would be purely ruthless. Correct. America in first foreign policy. Right. In conception. Yeah. My problem with all of this America first bloviation yeah. is that it appears to be predicated upon the notion that others will docilely acquiesce to whatever President Trump decides he wants to do. By others, do you mean other state operators or other people in Washington? Right. Yeah. I mean, are the Chinese really going to sit by idly? I doubt it. They have many ways to respond. Mm. So with China, I do worry that President-elect Trump, as he is known, is playing with fire. Yeah. Did you have a sense of uh, Donald Trump gave probably his first major foreign policy speech as a serious presidential candidate to your magazine, didn't he, at the National Interest? Well, it was it was hosted by us. hosted by it was, yeah. it, um, no no I'm not claiming you're uh, <laughs> you're in bed with Donald Trump but I what I want to say was that you know when you heard that speech where he talked about the false song of globalism would you say the Tillerson appointment is consistent with the speech he gave then? Maybe, but the but the oddity of all of this let's let's just be open minded here is that he's appointing a bunch of people from Goldman Sachs. He's got Tillerson, who is this global executive, yeah, and moved Exxon Mobil away from denying that climate change is occurring. So is Trump really the rebel populist, or is he simply? enabling huge swaths of the Republican establishment. Tillerson himself has been endorsed by Condoleezza Rice, mm. Robert Gates. These are all establishment figures. Yes. So, Although the sort of Russophobic elements, I suppose you call them, of the American press have been quick to accuse those supporting Tillerson of, of being sort of indebted to Russia or, or part of the... Well, because this all comes is all allied well the backdrop of course which we haven't discussed is the russian hacking of the american election mm. it does appear to have been quite pervasive mm. how influential it actually was is an open question yeah but it has again stirred up 
significant animosity among certainly among Democrats and among Republican hawks. Yeah. And Trump, I think, made a tactical mistake to dismiss it as ridiculous. If I had been him, I would have conceded that it happened, but would have questioned how how significant it actually was in practice. Mm. But he's, he sort of poured gasoline on the flames. So we'll see where it all hits. You know, the New York Times did this fascinating story. I don't know if you saw that. Apparently, the Russian hacking went all the way down to the level of congressional races. Thomas Friedman today called it a potential act of war. Yeah. The problem with all this, uh, all the hacking reports is that unless you have a, you know advanced understanding of how it works, and very few people do, it's hard to say how certainly it was coming from the Kremlin or was it just, uh, you know, hackers based in Russia? What, what do you think about that? Well, I think the evidence is pretty strong. I mean, if you look at that New York Times piece, and if the assertions are correct, but I mean, they, they seem pretty confident that this was run out of, that they can trace it back to certain sections of the Russian government. Yeah. Did Vladimir Putin sit there and say and give direct orders? I doubt it. Yeah. But I think that this was payback, frankly for U.S. meddling in Russia in the 1990s and the perceived, Hillary Clinton's perceived support for color revolution against Putin in 2011. So I think they were, they were out to get Clinton. Yeah. Did they think they were going to elect Trump? Uh, I doubt it. Yeah. Let's go back to that speech a bit. What struck you at the time when Trump gave that foreign policy speech as, as the dominant theme or the most surprising part of... Trump's international outlook? To be honest, what I noticed was sort of his physical. The man was obviously physically uncomfortable delivering his speech. He, he was grasping the podium with a death grip, yeah. with either the left or the right hand. And then he would periodically, in this sort of bellicose, truculent way, shout out, America first. Yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't find the, the, the speech overwhelming, but it did indicate that he is going to follow a very different path, at least initially, mm. than, than his predecessors. The question, ultimately, I guess, is how, how can he really reset relations with Russia? Or is the Senate going to become his permanent antagonist the way it did? You know, the Senate gummed up detente with Russia when the Nixon administration pursued it. Yes. And so who's who's going to be the Scoop Jackson today? It's worth uh, it's worth remembering too that Obama tried the Russian reset, didn't he? And that fell apart. He did. It was a little trickier for him because I think Trump is prepared to go much further mm. than Obama was in acquiescing to Russian demands. On the other hand, Trump is volatile, so you never know where all this is going to head. But clearly Trump's conceptual framework is to ally the United States with Russia yeah. against China. And also, you see, in the appointment of Tillerson and others, Goldman Sachs people in the, in the cabinet, you see that he, he perhaps he's just not comfortable with, with politics, with government. And in fact, it's just much easier for him to think of America as a business and therefore to try and just hire businessmen. That's a good point. Uh, I also think he likes, he said he likes people who've made a fortune. You know, he feels, yeah. he probably feels more comfortable around people who are billionaires. Mm. 
um, it makes them feel like they've accomplished something in life rather than the, than the, than the little, you know, weenies. Yes. If you're not rich, you can't really be smart in Donald Trump's head. Right. I think probably more analysis should be devoted to the, to the, to the wealth factor. Mm. I mean, he does, you know, I wonder how much his cabinet is worth because it's, it's clearly the richest, but again, He's putting together a lot of, on the most basic level, his transition team apparently has gotten almost nowhere in staffing all of these agencies. Mm. So the real question is, you know, it takes months to get confirmed for these positions. Does does everything just just sort of slide into inanition under Trump or do things, act, do things actually happen? Yeah. When was the last precedent of a Secretary of State being rejected by the Senate? I don't know if one ever has. I mean, the, the, the one that people talk about is that John Tower mm. rejected as defense secretary in 1989 when George H.W. Bush wanted to appoint him. Yeah. And Tower got taken down over allegations of womanizing and drunkenness. Yeah. But t- today, I don't know if dipsomania would bring you down or not. Um, no, probably not. <laughs> it would be classified as a medical challenge yeah. in our politically correct language, an ailment. Yeah. I don't know. Tillerson, you know, that'll depend on how he handles the nomination, how well prepared he is, and what else comes out about Russia, especially with his dealings with Russia. Mm. You know, the optics are not great. I mean, this, this order of friendship, you know, getting the medal. I was joking that he should wear the order of friendship to his Senate <laughs> He's got this big medal. Yeah. You, know, you know, I think what it gets back to is that, that, that people on the Hill, like McCain, do view Russia as another Soviet Union, if not Nazi Germany. Yes. And so it, you know, it evokes, like, if you think of Lindbergh got that medal from Hermann Goering before World War II. And- yeah. To a large extent, though, it's almost been proven electorally that the John McCain attitude towards Russia in 2008, he made very bellicose noises about Georgia, over Georgia, against Russia in the election. And really, his campaign sort of didn't do very well after that. Whereas Trump has always said, wouldn't it be nice if we could get along with Russia? And of course, he won an election. See, I think Trump won despite his Russia views. I don't think most Americans really paid much attention no. to that. But they didn't. But clearly, they didn't think traitor, unelectable. No, no. And I, I don't think they do now. I think Trump's Russia views are more of a curiosity than anything at this point. Yeah. Though it could, it could, if he goes too far, it could, you know, there are still clumps of East European voters in the Midwest. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yes. And there, there are still rumors swirling around Washington that the sort of KGB have some compromising piece of evidence on Trump. Well, the quantum KGB, you mean FSB. FSB, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think the rumors that still swirl around are that Trump is somehow indebted to the oligarchs financially. Yeah. And because, you know, he refused to release his taxes and he's been very cryptic mm. about all that. So they, so people wonder, is he in fact in hawk to, to Putin and his cronies? You know, really what this what this Russia thing is about is trying to delegitimize Trump yeah. before yeah. he becomes president. And to some extent, I think it has been successful. It could become his kind of Benghazi. Yeah. You can't, how do you disprove it? I mean, 
if it's not true, then he becomes the victim of his of a conspiracy theory, you know, yeah. which is sort of amusing since he's floated so many himself. Yeah. But, you know, more will come out. I mean, the, the real question is, will the Russia thing take down Trump yeah. within a year? Because the congressional Republicans are not really that loyal to Trump and they have pets who they can insert as president. Yes. And, and they would prefer Pence. So you think Russia would be, uh, a lot of people talking about an impeachment within a year, Russia would be the most obvious grounds for an impeachment? If it blew up, yeah. Yeah. If, it, if there really was a there there. Yes. Really blew up. You know, it could metastasize. Now, look, I have no idea. What, I'm just, this is sheer speculation. Sure, yeah, yeah. My gut is that he will not be impeached. Yeah. People will just simply have, it, liberals are having trouble with the notion that Donald J. Trump will actually swear the oath of office on January 20th <laughs> and move into the White House. I mean, it's coming. Yeah. You know, if you look at this election at every turn, they, they, they have grasped, people have grasped at something to stop him and it's never happened. Yes, or, or not move into the White House, in fact. Well, let's uh, talk again soon. It's going to be very fascinating to watch. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, Freddie. And just a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast anytime on iTunes, and please do. 